We're in lesson two today, the Lord's Commission. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And this is probably the last time, the last recorded incident of where you're going to see Jesus saying anything outside of the Damascus Road experience and outside of what you see in the book of Revelation. So let's look together. First of all, we're going to see the story continued. Now, what do you mean by that? We're starting at the beginning of a book, George. What do you mean the story continued? Well, let's look at verses 1 to 5, and you'll see why I say that. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles, whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during the forty days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so let's take a look here. Why do, why do I label this section the story continued? Well, the first thing I want you to see is the former account refers to the Gospel of Luke, which was written to Theophilus. Theophilus probably was a, uh, a wealthy believer. Maybe he had a church that met in his house. Some scholars believe that maybe Theophilus bankrolled Luke to uh, investigate and write an account of the gospel, which we have as the gospel of Luke, and as well as how the church started in the book of Acts. So this is actually, you guys are into two-part series movies and two-part series books. This is like part two of a two-part series. The first part is Luke, the gospel of Luke. The second part is the book of Acts. So the former account refers to the gospel of Luke, which was written for Theophilus. Luke states that the gospel covered the ministry of Jesus until his ascension. So really what he's saying here is that in his first account, which was the gospel of Luke, it's covering the ministry of Jesus unto his ascension. Unto his ascension. Now, Luke states that Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering and his death. Luke states that Jesus presented himself alive to people to show that he was alive, that he had been resurrected. In fact, here, if you want to make a note in your notes there, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul gives a defense concerning the resurrection, he makes it very clear that Jesus appeared to the disciples, the apostles. He appeared to James, the brother of Jesus, the pastor of the Jerusalem church. He also appeared to, and here notice what it says there when you go to 1 Corinthians 15, to over 500 different people. Okay? 500 different people. And then ultimately Paul says he appeared to him which we'll study that later, okay? So 
Luke states that Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering and his death. And here's the other thing. Jesus presented himself alive through many unmistakable proofs. So, for instance, when you go to the Gospels, how many of you remember the two on the road to Emmaus? The two disciples on the road to Emmaus and Jesus met them. You know, he went along with them and discussed through the Old Testament why the Christ must suffer then they asked him to stay with them for a moment, and he did, and he, he broke bread. He, you know, he, he showed proofs. Gospel of John said to Thomas, here's my what? Here's my hands, here's my side. You know, those are proofs. He showed infallible proofs that this is who he is, that he is raised from the dead. Okay, now, Jesus was seen by the disciples during the 40 days before the ascension. So just so you understand... When Jesus was resurrected, raised from the dead, he's with his disciples periodically for 40 days. Does everybody understand me? For 40 days. So he didn't ascend for 40 days. And during that time, the gospel shares some of what's happened there. Uh, one of the things we know from, uh, I think it's uh, John chapter 20, Remember, Peter goes up to Galilee to go fishing, and Jesus meets them on the, on the seashore. You know, those all occurred during that 40-day period, okay? Now, Jesus spoke to the disciples concerning the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So, okay, now let's stop for a moment. Jesus spent three years teaching his disciples. Everybody agree with that? From the time of his ministry beginning, the baptism of John, to his death on the cross was a three-year ministry. And in that three-year ministry, he spent his time teaching his disciples, okay, instructing them. Now, did they get everything? Did they understand everything? No, we, we know that for a fact that they didn't because he very clearly was telling them, as you read through the Gospels, that he was going to be killed, that he was going to be handed over, that he was going to be lifted up, that he had to die, okay? Now, think about those three years, the disciples in those three years, and then think about after the resurrection for the 40 days, now Jesus is teaching them. You think they're paying attention? Did you know what I'm saying? Jesus spoke to the disciples concerning the kingdom of God. Now, with that, he gives them a command. He gives them a command. He commands the disciples not to leave Jerusalem. Whoa. What do you mean? First of all, think about you're the disciples. Who's in charge of Jerusalem? Who's in charge of Jerusalem? The Romans. Not just the Romans, but who's the ones who accused Jesus? Uh, the, well, not just the fair, the Sanhedrin, which would be ma the ruling council of the elite of, of, of the city. They're all there. All right? So if you're, you're an apostle, would you be scared? I mean, your leader just got killed, even though he's alive. Now Jesus is telling you to what? I mean, the best place you would think is, let's go back to Galilee. Do, do you understand? Jesus tells them to what? 
wait to stay in Jerusalem. They were to wait for the fulfillment of the promise of the Father. Now, here's why they had to stay. God was getting ready to do something. He was going to fulfill a promise. Okay? He was going to fulfill a promise. Now, here, and verse 5 tells us what that promise is. Just as John the Baptist baptized with water, they would soon be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Just as John the Baptist baptized with water, they would soon be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to make, if you want to, I want you to put a star by verse 5, because this is going to be key to your understanding and key to you maybe helping you understand why sometimes people get messed up in what their teaching is. So, for instance, the issue here is, is being baptized. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is the fulfillment of the promise. Now, when you get saved, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, what happens to you? Anybody? I hear, I hear whispers. People hesitant to speak up. The Holy Spirit. You get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, okay. Remember I told you that the one group is saying that you need to be water baptized in order to. I think if you look at the verses that they're using, when you look at it, it says repent and be baptized. It doesn't say with water. Did you understand what I'm saying? Even in Mark, it doesn't say with water. It says, be baptized. Here's the thing. You can make it say water if you want, but if you're looking at what the issue of salvation is, is when you get saved, when you repent, when you give your life to Christ, at that moment, you are what? They're baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. Did you understand what I'm saying? See how you can... you can. Do you understand? The baptism does occur, but it's not a water baptism. It's a what? Spirit baptism. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because that's the fulfillment of the promise. All right? Because when you talk about in the New Testament, there are two types of baptism. There's water baptism and there's spirit baptism. But if you look at those verses, you'll see... They don't tell you be baptized with water. It says be baptized. Now, the promise of the Father is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we get to the ascension. Now, here's the rest of the part, and here's where we're going to spend a little bit of time. Okay? Because now Luke is going to talk about the discussion that they're having with Jesus before he ascends to heaven, okay? Look with me at verse 6 through 11, okay? Let's look here. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses to me 
in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked up steadfastly towards heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, so we're going to spend the rest of our time really talking about this section. I think it's interesting. Look with me, verse 6 and 7. He's going to talk about the question of the end. Here's what I want you to see. The disciples wanted to know if Jesus was going to establish his kingdom now. Okay, ever get interested in prophecy? What's going to happen in the end? Do you ever get interested in that? Not your heads. Surely you do, okay? I remember when I first became a believer in 1985, committed my life to Christ. I was 19 years old, got my Bible, reading my Bible. One of the first books I read in one day was a book about the end, about the rapture. Because why? You want to know what's going to happen, right? We have a tendency to focus on end times. I've noticed through the years, as, and I've, as I've pastored, when I lead any, any time I lead somebody to the Lord, and you're in the discipleship process, inevitably one of the first questions out of their mouth is, is they want to know about when Jesus comes back. So this is a natural question. A natural question about when Jesus comes back. This is why, I'll be honest with you, why we are so susceptible to being misled concerning the end times. What do you mean, George? Well, guys, remember the billboards a few years ago about Jesus coming back in May? I remember driving through Punxsy and seeing some guy. He took a really nice Lincoln and had all these symbols with a mushroom cloud and everything going around Punxsy advocating this date that's happening. The end is near. Repent. Okay? Why are we susceptible to that? Because we get so fixated on when Jesus comes back. That's why when we have new elections and people get elected that we don't like, we think the end's coming back. Did you understand what I'm saying? We think the end is coming back. So we're just like the disciples. We want to know. Now, when you look at this verse, I want you to understand something. To the apostles... Jesus' return has to do with one issue. Look at verse 6. Can anybody tell me what that one issue is? Look at what they say to him. Okay, that's true, but read, look at it exactly, because sometimes we can filter things through our mind and miss the truth. Okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's good, Bruce. That's good. That's partially there. The point is, here's what I'm saying. It's just not about the Romans. They were wondering, because he's the Messiah. Look at the last part of verse 6. You guys are focusing on the first part of that last part, which is to restore the kingdom to Israel. Here's what I want you to understand. This is what you and I have to understand. The focus of the Bible... 
the focus of the Old and New Testament has to do with, are you ready for this, who? Israel, not the church. Because sometimes we can get into where the church is at now. That's not the point here. The point is, they are asking a key question, and the key question to them is, is Jesus, when are you going to fulfill the promises that were given throughout the centuries to who? To Israel. Now, we as a part of the church, Gentiles as a part of the church, we have been, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we have, remember we're Romans, we have been grafted into the old olive tree. We share in those promises, but those promises are for God to establish and fulfill his promises that he gave from Abraham on to Israel. So this is the focus. The focus is not on the church, but the focus is on God establishing his kingdom in fulfillment of the promises to who? Israel. So, okay, so that's what they want to know. Here's what's happening. Jesus told them not to focus on when the kingdom would be established. Wow. I think that's some pretty good advice, don't you? As with everything, I want you to hear me. If you don't lead a balanced Christian life, you can find yourself becoming consumed by issues. Have you ever met somebody whose total focus, everything has to do with what's going to happen in the end, the end times? Every time they talk to you about church or something, it's always about the end times and how this fits into prophecy and everything, and they're watching this show, and they're listening to this podcast, and they're getting this publication, and every time they talk to you, it's about what? When the end times are coming back, right? Okay? Here, I just want you to understand, that's a danger. Another one would be, I'll just throw it out there, some people get not just focused on end times, they get focused on politics. You ever met Christians where all they talk about is politics? And about certain parties being the, you know, God-anointed party. God doesn't anoint any party. Here's another one. Abortion issues or some kind of social issues. We've got to drill wells overseas so people can have drinking water. You know, you, people can get consumed by an issue and miss the main thing. And this is what Jesus is saying to them. Hey, guys, I know you're interested in when the kingdom's going to be restored to Israel, but that's not what I want you to focus on right now. That's not where your focus should be. There's something else. And he's getting ready to tell them what the something else is. Okay? He's telling them not to focus on when the kingdom would be established. You know, it's good for you to know what the scriptures say about the end times. I'm not telling you that it's not. It's good for you to know. What I'm saying to you is, don't get consumed by it. Don't get consumed by it. Why do you say that, George? Well, you know what? I've been a believer now, going on to 31 years. And I can remember, I mean, I can remember, remember when the first Gulf War thing happened, Desert Storm? I remember message series talking about how Saddam Hussein and all that had a fulfillment in prophecy. You know, if you and I were to listen, if I were to play those messages to you today, 
oh, we're going to listen today in Sunday school to this great message and about prophecy. You would look at me and say, George, that's meaningless. The dude's dead. Do you know what I'm saying? He's dead. This is what I'm trying to say to you. You've got to be careful. It's one thing to know, but it's another thing to get wrapped up in it. And so Jesus is telling him, hey, you guys don't get focused on this. Here's what your focus needs to be. Jesus tells them that they will be empowered when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They will be empowered when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Let me ask you a question. When you share your faith, do you ever feel inadequate? Do you ever feel like you don't know what you need to say to share with them about Christ? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you, you don't have any head knowledge? You know, you're not the one to do this. Do you just feel inadequate? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. You need to quit looking at your feelings and look at the truth. The truth is, when God gives you the opportunity to share, he empowers you for that time of sharing. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because it's the Holy Spirit who empowers you. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's the Holy Spirit who's working in the person's heart anyhow. It's the Holy Spirit who gives them understanding to what you share. It's a Holy Spirit thing. You're just the vehicle to what? Speak. Did you understand? To give testimony. So he's saying to them, look, don't get focused on the end. Don't get focused on when the kingdom will be established. You're going to be empowered when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Folks, if you are here and you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit within you. He empowers you. Okay, let's go on. When this, with the Spirit's empowerment, they will be witnesses of Jesus to the rest of the world. Look with me at verse 8. That, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will, you shall be witnesses to me. All right, witnesses of what? Jesus' resurrection. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So here he's saying to them, with that empowerment, they will be witnesses to the rest of the world. So here's, here's what I'm saying. So let's, first of all, here we're gonna get a, we're gonna see a couple things here. Evangelism is the sharing of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, when the Holy Spirit works in your life, when the Holy Spirit empowers you, what you're to share is, is the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, what he means to you. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? So oftentimes we get, oh, I can't, I forgot the Romans wrote, or I, I don't have the four spiritual laws with me. Sometimes you don't need that. What you need to simply do is share with them about the reality of who in your life. Jesus. Not a formula. Not a strategy, not a set of doctrine. You need to show them the reality. What, what you're, you're being witnesses to is being witness of Jesus being what? Alive. All right, let's stop for a moment. Is he alive to you? That's a good question, isn't it? 
Is Jesus alive to you? Because if he's not alive to you, you got nothing to share. Do you understand? We're not sharing about how great our church is. We're not sharing about how wonderful the atmosphere is. We're not sharing about the family feel. That, that, all that stuff is meaningless. When you share the gospel, when you share, you're sharing the gospel of the reality that Jesus Christ is alive. And the biggest impact you can have is because you know that he's alive in what? Your life. Because you've seen him answer prayer. You've seen him give you peace. You've seen him give you strength and comfort. Did you understand what I'm saying? He speaks to you through his word. I mean, is he alive to you or not? See, that, that's where you've got to wrestle. If he's not alive, you've got to start asking some serious questions. And, and so the reality is, is that he's telling them here, listen, you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. About me. That's your task. Don't get focused on when I'm coming back. You focus on what? Being a witness. Being a witness to the reality of Jesus. Okay, so what we see here in verse 8, this verse is the key verse to understanding the flow and purpose of the book of Acts. When you look at verse 8, you're going to see that basically it's telling you how the rest of the book is going to be flowed out because you're going to see it starts off at Jerusalem. Then beyond that, you're going to see Philip goes to where? Samaria, Judea, and then beyond that to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then at the end of the book, you're finally in Rome. Okay? So it's going to show you the flow. Now, let me just stop for a moment. What we have in verse 8 is not a strategy verse. What do you mean? Through the years, I've heard it, I've even been taught it, even believed it at one point, that what you and I need to do is, okay, let's take the map of Clearfield and, and, and identify what our Jerusalem is. That's your neighborhood. And then identify what Judea is. You know, that's, that's the whole county. And, and then Samaria, well, that's Center County or, or Jefferson County or, or, or Indiana County. And, and, and then the uttermost parts of the world. And that's our strategy. We need to move out and do that. This is not the purpose of this verse. The verse is saying, Jesus is not saying, this is how you're going to reach the world. Jesus is saying, look at how the, look at the verse, look at verse 8. He is telling them not what to do, but rather what they are going to do. Do you understand? He's not telling them what to do. He's telling them what they're going to do. Look at how it's phrased here. Look at verse 8. And you shall, which is also translated will, be witnesses to me, where? In Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He's telling them not how to do it. He's telling them what they're going to do. You see the difference? So this is not a strategy verse. This is actually a verse telling them that you're going to be a witness to me everywhere because I'm alive. So when we get to verse 9, after the commissioning, Jesus was taken up to heaven in their presence. I think this is interesting to me. 
Why do you think that Jesus just didn't say, okay, I'm done with my teaching time, guys. I'll see you in a few years. Wait for me. And then just, boom, gone. He's disappeared. Why do you think, because he could have done that, right? Why do you think he ascended? Basically, what he's talking about is he basically was lifted up to heaven, up into the clouds to where they could see him no more. Why go out that way? Why do you think? Okay, it proves a point. All right. What else? Uh, maybe a reference to the rapture, possibly. Oh, because the disciples say, in such manner will he come back. More more like, to the, not to the rapture, but to the second coming, is what the angels will say. But why else? Okay, a visual impact that he's going to the Father. Okay. See, I think about it. I mean, there's no right answer. But do you think it has an impact? See, this is the point. He just doesn't disappear. He's leaving an impact with them of the reality of who he is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because they are witnessing him. They've been there. They've touched him. They've ate with him for 40 days. Now he leaves. He's ascended to heaven. They're witnessing this. That's going to create an impact. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's going to create an impact because of the reality of who Jesus is. And listen, when we get beyond this chapter, you're going to see what the impact of that is on them, that they're willing to do whatever because of Jesus. All right, stop for a moment. That's the question for us as we go through the book of Acts. When we go through the book of Acts, you're going to see them be bold, preach, share, be arrested, beaten, get out, still preach, share, doesn't matter what the authority... Do you understand? And why do they do that? Because of the impact of Jesus on their lives. Okay, let me just stop for a moment. I think... And this is what I want you to wrestle with. See, when we go through Acts, we need to wrestle with this. Could it be that our hesitancy to share with others about Jesus is somehow connected to the impact in our own life? I'm not saying it is. You've got to wrestle with that. The impact of the reality of Jesus in your own life? Could it be that it's somehow connected? Like, for instance, you know, when I became a believer in 1985, April 1985, I was a young college student, 19 years old, freshman at UWSC. I tell you what, when I first came to Christ, I shared the gospel. I shared it with my family to the point that I drove them nuts. Did you understand what I'm saying? I shared it on the college campus there at USC, involved in all kinds of activities, sharing it with people. I shared the gospel. Now, something changed over time. Something changed over time where I don't share it as much as I did back then. 
I think it's the impact. It's like an old story I heard about a guy who first got saved and he's going wild for Jesus and an old deacon looked at him and said, you know, you'll calm down after a while, boy. And so the guy went to his pastor and said, is that true? He said, no, no, not if you're excited for Jesus, it's not. He said, well, I don't want to be like that deacon. And the pastor said, I don't want to be like him either. What happens is, is that we calm down because we get into a rut and the impact of Christ isn't there anymore. Did you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, a re- rejection. We, we don't like the rejection. But you're going to see that these guys are rejected, Bruce, and they keep going on. Yeah. So the disciples were staring up at the sky, straining to see Jesus as he was taken up. The text in its, in its original language is kind of, the looking there tells you more of, a, a more of a straining. Straining to see Jesus as he's going up. Okay? And you know what? Don't be hard on them. We would have done the same thing. You know? We would have done the same thing. Because, man, how often does that happen? You know what I'm saying? How often does that happen? Yes. So now comes the angels. Two angelic beings appear to the disciples. This is good. Wow. It's, it's one thing to even see Jesus, and that in itself is phenomenal and exciting. But then you see heavenly beings coming to you. That's The angels question why the disciples are spending their time looking up. Why are you spending your time looking up? And the angels tell the disciples that Jesus will return in the same manner that he was taken up. In the same manner. He'll come from heaven. So again, here, let me just say to you, this, this, this statement here, how he's going to return, that is reiterated throughout the scripture. So let me just stop for a moment. If you don't know your Bible, if you don't know what the scriptures teach you, you are then susceptible for anybody coming along and giving you some kind of line and you'll buy it. How do I know that, George? How do you know that? History tells us that. Some of the cults today, the Seventh-day Adventist, one of the things was there was a guy by the name of Miller. He was an Adventist, not a Seventh-day Adventist. Seventh-day Adventism came out of Adventism. He predicted that Jesus was going to come back in 1830-something. They went to Connecticut. Everybody was dressed up in white robes, sitting on a hill waiting for Jesus to come back. The only thing that came was a thunderstorm. Lightning. Jesus didn't come back. He went back and recalculated everything, figured out he must have been wrong with his calculation. So the next year, I'm assuming with an even smaller group, showed up the next year, and of course Jesus didn't come back. How Seventh-day Adventism came about was there was a very devout follower, forget her name now, she definitely had some mental issues. But she basically said that Jesus came back spiritually. And thus started Seventh-day Adventism and its false doctrine. So what I'm trying to say to you is, look at what the Scripture says and understand it. He's saying, just as he was bodily raised up, he's going to come back the same way. What? 
bodily. When Jesus comes back, isn't that what Revelation says? The, the nations will mourn when he comes back. People will see him come back. It's not a spiritual thing. So the angels tell the disciples that Jesus will return in the same manner that he was taken up. 